Welcome to Silverfin Capital's FinSights podcast, hosted by Rich Piznoy, co-founder and principal of Silverfin Capital, lending expert, residential and commercial property owner, and sales and networking professional. This podcast is all about bringing people together for conversations exploring current trends, insights, and innovations around real estate, finance, and life. Hello, and welcome to Silverfin Capital Group's FinSights podcast. I'm your host, Rich Piznoy. Over the past 16 years, we at Silverfin Capital have had the privilege of working with and helping more than 7,000 people. During this time, we've seen a lot, we've learned a lot, and wanted to give something back. On this podcast, we will be speaking with some amazing individuals who will be joining us as guests to share their experience and expertise. Today, on our inaugural episode, we're keeping it in the family. I'd like to welcome my longtime business partner, co-founder of Silverfin Capital, and my very dear friend, Andrew Weinberg. Andrew, it's great to have you. Thanks for having me, Rich. Let's get into it. Andrew, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself, your background, your family, and maybe talk a little bit how or why we started Silverfin Capital all those years ago. My background <laughs> is uh, I am an attorney and uh, I have an MBA, so it's been legal and financial background, and I, I worked as an attorney, I worked as an analyst, um, but I always had what I would consider an entre entrepreneurial bent, uh, where I wanted to do something where I had more control, um, where I was able to, you know, be um, be more creative in terms of uh, the things that you could do and put together for people. Um, my good friend Rich Piznoy, who uh, that's me, that's him. We were, who uh, we were good friends from college. Uh, Rich had uh, a sales background and also had been involved in uh, starting his own business um, and had been in the mortgage business for a few years at that time. Uh, the market was was very good for in you know for the business at that time, and it seemed that together we really brought a good skill set of you know I had a legal and financial background, and Rich your background in sales and operations and mortgages in particular, um, and uh, we talked about uh, what we could do together and thought that it would be a good fit. You know when you go into business with a friend, as you know, it's you run the risk of losing a friend, um, but I was willing <laughs> to take that risk. Um, uh, tell me a little bit about your family, or tell everybody about your family. I am married to my wonderful wife, Jennifer, uh, 20 years this year. I've got three kids. Happy anniversary. Thank you. Uh, my oldest is Hannah, who just turned 17. And my two sons, Jake, who's 15, and Alex, who's 12. Sounds like you have quite a brood. Oh, yeah, we got a, we got a full <laughs> car. Well, that's good. I, so, as far as Silverfin is concerned, I, how would you compare us to, let's say, another type of broker or another lender in the industry? We're not a lender, but uh, just comparatively, when you see, when you've come across uh, different entities in lending, how would you say that we are a little different? When we started this company in 2005, there were a lot of mortgage brokers, there were a lot of mortgage lenders, um, and it, it was almost as if uh, the way every maitre d' gets to open their own restaurant. Um, there were a lot of people opening their, you know, their own broker shops. So, as you remember, yeah. Um, and it's a, it's an interesting small business in that you, it really is the local business, but you compete effectively with, you know, big banks worth tens of billions and potentially trillions of dollars, and that's that's an, a unique situation uh, to be in. In fact, where the broker, if done right, has more options than the big behemoth bank. And the reason is because, as you know, the big bank, that's just one of the things they do. For us, this is 
all we do. Um, and the mortgage, if the mortgage business consisted just of the five banks that everybody heard of, you know, maybe there wouldn't be much of a role for us. But the fact is that the mortgage industry is, you know, hundreds and thousands of lenders, all looking for different, you know, potentially different types of loans. And so I think there's a a lot of value that you can add to the process um, as a broker, as a mortgage broker, because figuring out the scenario, figuring out the right lender, is is the skill. Um, being able to get the loan, you know, put together and close. That's it's not just about you know you don't just walk in and what's your rate because I mean right. of course rates are important, but that's not. Um, not every scenario fits into that, you know, that plain Correct. vanilla right. box. So you, so based on on on, from what I'm hearing is, just comparing a broker to a lender, we talk about just a lot more options compared to what a lender can offer. It is one of the items that they do, as opposed to just something that we particularly do. You know, it's interesting. I remember, you know, for I, I always like to to say this. You know, when I talk to somebody about Silverfin Capital, is that you and I have had this conversation, and at times, you well, here you mentioned that you were an attorney, and at times we talked about maybe adding, doing closings, et cetera. And you said something to me at the time, which really, you know, I think it hit home was, you know, let's, why don't we just do mortgages and let's just do them to the best of our ability. And I thought that that really was a, was a, a unique view of things because because a lot of companies, really, and it doesn't have to be in the mortgage business, it could be in a lending business, it can be in any industry, or it's, a, it's all about how can we make more money, how can we make more money, and not necessarily remember that we still have to do a good job. Well, I think that's the, you know, sort of the danger of spreading yourself too thin, of, yeah. n- of being the jack of all trades, of wanting a piece of everything, you know, sort of. Because, um, you know, obviously I know what you're referring to because it would be, I'm an attorney, you should do closings. It's like uh, you should open a title company, you should uh, have a joint venture with a title company. Uh, you should have a real estate, pro- all of the, th- the things. And the danger, I felt, was, you know, that it, it's a tough business to begin with. And there's plenty of opportunity and growth and opportunities to establish ourselves just doing, you know, mortgages, residential and commercial, yep. and doing it better than, you know, than as well as we can, and I think better than, than you know, most others. You know, lending has been a roller coaster, you know, through rules and regulations, guidelines, updates, you know, number one, how would you say you've handled the changes and how would you say the industry has changed and and how it's related to maybe the loan officer, the company, kind of really just so we can maybe give a better understanding of it? Um, without going too far back in the history of how mortgages originated in no, this just, country. No, just, just a basic. Which is like, goes back to like the Depression. Um, <laughs> but um, when we started this company, New York in particular is one of the, and still, one of the most difficult states to get licensed in. Right. Having been an attorney, it was easier to get licensed. They gave preference to, uh, to attorneys. So we were able to get licensed fairly quickly. Then the other states that we did, which was you know, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, and Florida, but also a few other states we did at the time. And uh, those licenses came on you know, very quickly from the time that you, within a month or two. Um, but New York you know, takes a long time. They made it difficult. Um, as it should be, maybe just a little faster the process should be. And when, once we were licensed as a company, it was very easy for us to add loan originators. We had- it You're was talking about, let's say 15 pre, years ago. 15 so. years ago, all I, you know, I, it was not easy for us to get the license, but once we got it, all I had to do was put your name on a list and you were my loan officer. That, right, so there on was somebody's a, accountability, I think right, I remember there was a form every time, that. every time we hired somebody, it sent a, a, an accountability form telling the banking department, 
this guy is, you know, he's with me, and that person or, you know, is now a loan originator. At that time, it was, a, you know, in 2004, 5, 6, it was a good time for the wholesale market. It was a good time for the broker. Yeah. And it, so yeah. If, if all of a sudden, you know, you have no experience and within a few months you're able to make, you know, over $100,000 a year pace, um, it was, wasn't hard to find new loan originators. The problem was, you know, there wasn't much, uh, there wasn't much of a barrier to entry for new loan originators. So are you talking about educational background? Are you talking yeah, about licensing it just, requirements? It, it, it was too easy for people to get into the business. And not that it should be hard, but it was as the market picked up, which we know it did, it just very, you know, all of a sudden you could have a guy bring, delivering, uh, you know, dinner and you say, hey, do you want to, here, you, I'll give you a business card. And, um, you know, can I, I, I want to interrupt you for a second. It's funny that you say that, you know, just to kind of make, bring this down to, to home, so to speak, is I remember, I remember way back when, when I first started in, in this business, I had a, uh, a manager that hired the coffee truck guy to be a loan officer because you didn't have to pay somebody a salary. It was based on commission right, that's, and referral. That's another good point. And it was the guy that pulled up, and, and I'm not saying he wasn't intelligent, but the but the gentleman but that was, focused was, on driving, the was driving the coffee truck, you know, that you know, hunks the horn outside for you to come and have lunch, is now a loan officer just because it was a referral. It was, so right. it, was, it was kind of a wild west if I'm not, if it I'm was, reading correctly. And, um, you know, I, I think we recognized very quickly that this is not, there's a few things this is not, and one is it's not a part-time job. So let me let me jump in. Let me let, let's go back to the to the to the regulation side of things for a second for everybody. So now, obviously, it's no longer you're not the coffee truck person anymore, and 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 now things have changed. So now, how have they changed, and what is it, and and what does somebody necessarily need to do? One to be to to get licensed, but. But secondly, what does a company now need to, how do they handle the changes in the regulatory environment that we're currently in? Um, those are all good questions. Um, to just tie this into what we were saying before, when it, you know, when it was yeah. the Wild West, um, the changes that I was talking about that were coming down the pike came at the same time the market was tough. Yeah. But, but they were separ you know, on separate tracks. They just, so the business was getting tough. There were fewer wholesale lenders, still very competitive. And now you have you know these additional requirements. So, and the requirements were were coming in. This was I think uh, 2010 and 11. You know, it, it was uh, first you have to sign up for an NMLS number. The right, you know, right that, back. that be registered. Person. Somebody had to be registered. But that, okay, that was easy. I signed up. I got you know. And then it was like <laughs> right. I think you have right, a very low was, number. Right. I was like, uh, and even that. I, right. I, I should have done it sooner. But like Silverfin has a one two one four seven. If you started a financial company and got an NMLS number today, it would be like seven or eight digits. Each of those new requirements started to flush people out of the business. And it wasn't clear who or what was going to do it. But it was credit related. There well, were that was a lot what, of so, things uh, too. You know, most people in the mortgage business at that time were, I got three investment properties. I got one in North Carolina. I got this. Because they had all taken, uh, taken advantage in the positive sense of the word of the, yeah. of the products available. Mm -hmm. So... New York in particular said, if you have bad credit, because you, first that was, a, the credit became one of the qualifications. So bad credit at a time when the mortgage market was under incredible stress was not surprising for many mortgage people. Well, but you're, help, you're essentially helping somebody finance their home. You would assume 
maybe they should be able to find. Well, that's the themselves. argument is that you should be able to manage your think. own credit. Right, but you never but, know what happens. Things um, happen in this world. So you know, we would. All right, now it's time to do the credit check, and some guy. I'm, I'm not going to make it. Oh, okay. He's like, I'm getting. You know, I'm going back oh, right. to my job as the coffee truck guy. Right. And then, uh, then it was uh, criminal background checks and. I remember guys, oh, you know what, I think I got into a fight once in college. But that, I think, was a turning point for where the market turned, what you were referring to, into a much more committed and professional, both in the terms of the companies and the individuals working as loan originators, because for better or for worse, you flushed out so many people, still super competitive, but less competitive in that sense. Like, you're not, you know instead of someone speaking to a dozen people now, maybe they speak to four people yeah. when they're shopping. Um, so Well, I think it legitimized the business. It also, it, it does know. help. It, you know, it creates a barrier to entry. So, you know, we're talking about a small business, but it's one that has regulatory barriers for the company, yeah. regulatory barriers for the loan originator. And for years I said, you know, I didn't know anybody who started a mortgage broker. I mean, I know they exist. Yeah. I'm like, but you, you know, it, who's opening the new mortgage brokerage? Who's the new, you know, 22-year-old or 25-year-old going into the, uh, to become a mortgage broker? Because it is a good path, and there is a lot of freedom and opportunity. But I think that, that as an industry, it's a little bit of a, you know, graying industry where most people have been, like, you know, it's a reflection. Most people at Silverfin have been here for, 10 years and have 15 yeah. years experience, you do need to continue to feed the pipeline with um, you know, new people that are to grow. It's not that the, easy to and do. And it's not that easy. I would agree that I think that, that regulatory changes, look, they can be difficult, they can be tough, and sometimes unfair, I believe. Uh, I do well, think look, it was just, a, just to evil. interrupt you for one yeah. sec, uh, you know, one of the things, and I, I probably haven't thought uh, or articulated it lately, but for a long time I felt like our competitive advantage was that we were able to adjust to the changes in the market yeah. rather than like we, we had seen so many companies throwing in the towel for one reason or another. And, you know, I think we were able to say, all right, let's, you know, every, every change in the landscape was an opportunity to do things differently or better. And I think for the most part, I think we did that. Let's talk a little bit about motivation. And this is on a separate from, from our industry per se, but just from a work standpoint, you know, motivation in general, you know, you know you're 51 years old. You look fantastic. You look fantastic. You look fantastic. You know, how do you keep yourself motivated every day and, 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 and keep things going? It's, it's not easy. I'm like, look, I'm, I'm, we're, we're, I'm still 51. I got a week. But the truth is, it's not that simple. What, what kind of drives you from doing this? Um, you know, to, you to know I guess when I, in the end, I like having a roof over my head and <laughs> my children, or they like to eat at least three times a day. Um, but still, you know what look, I'm saying. Like, on one hand, I'm, I, if I didn't work at all, I'm not sure how I would fill a day, and it certainly, if I did, it probably wouldn't be that productive. Um, but, you know, we've talked about this where I want to I want to help. I want to help, you know, the people at Silverfin to be as productive as they can be. Okay. I want to help people to see that you know the opportunities that are there and what we can do and and how to raise the bar in what we're doing you know to some degree where we're doing it better than you know people might expect look the, this past year and currently has been insane it's been crazy uh, we know that there's you know a global pandemic going on 
navigating through this time, um, what was the essential thing that, that you would say that, that we did um, or Silverfin did to help along with that? Is it something we did, you know, we talk about being proactive instead of reactive, and I think ultimately there are things that we've done, I think, that, that helped the situation, but what are your thoughts on that? What do you think that, that, we've, that we've done that helped navigate through the things like this? Um, we had set ourselves up so that people could have some access outside the office, techno you know, technology-wise. Right. Fortunately, before COVID, we had made, you know, not a major shift, but we, sh we said, you know what, let's get rid of all the desktop computers and give everybody a laptop that they'll use at home or in the office. Correct. That and we little, moved to everything we right. moved to the we crowd moved to from the a cloud, technology left, standpoint. Right. So that little decision made it a lot easier. When we talk about establishing, establish, uh, I keep saying that road wrong, establishing road trust road. <laughs> with clients, you know, look, why is it important to build trust in any industry? Not necessarily, I'm not even talking about our industry to, per se, but but not only prior, but through any, any sales process um, or product purchase process or loan I mean, as process. you know, I don't even like to just, I, I, you know, the concept of quote-unquote sales as being... Well, that's what I'm saying in general, you know, in general. I've said to you many times, everybody's selling something. Yeah. If, if I was working as a partner in a law firm, I'd have to bring in business. I'd have to convince my partners that I'm, uh, you know, that I have the expertise in, Correct. in it's my all practice area. It's, it's all sales we're always, in reality. Right, we're, we're always, always sell, selling. You know, you, when you met your wife, you know... She sold me. You didn't want her to know that eventually you'd be <laughs> almost completely bald. Don't tell her that. Don't tell her that, by the way. But I would. <laughs> Thank you, uh, by the way. I appreciate that. Um, no, but again, going back to the trust of a client, you know, how do you, how do you, how would you say that you gain it? You know, what is... What it's, is it's the not always easy. Newer? You know, look, the objective in the end is to is to make money, but you do it not by forcing people with the wrong. Well, taking advantage, you know, God right, forbid, right. you, you, you make money by doing the right thing over and over and over again. Right. Eventually, people see that. Um, I think that's a very, you know, what you mentioned there is a very good point. When I speak to a client who wants to, let's say, buy a house, I, you know, I don't always say this, but it's, I don't, it's not my job or objective to convince them to buy i don't know oh, that was a good right. time now let let some realtor convince them that now's the time or 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 not or, right but if you want to buy a house and uh, let me help you figure out the best way to finance it and and by best way i mean you know how you can qualify how you can structure it how you can think about it so that you have you know not just the best rate but the best for, for your particular scenario which you know maybe not every scenario is completely different but but certainly you know, most are. There's something different. So, for example, if I know that, you're, like you said, if you're going to be moving in a couple of years, you say, you know, I'm probably going to move in a year. I mean, there's almost no scenario where refinance makes sense. Right. And because you just, how much you're going to save in one year, you're not going to justify the closing costs. So the sooner I tell you that, because I know that that's the case, the sooner, I, first, it's like I'm bringing you to the what I believe is the right answer, the right, if you're moving in a year, stop thinking about refinancing. Um, eventually, they're going to find out anyway. And eventually, like, they're who's find this guy out? telling me to refinance? Exactly, and and as we know, there's you know the banks won't do a loan that has no benefit. Yeah. So a purchase is a benefit. A cash out refinance is a benefit. But a rate and term refinance, where you're trying to help someone save money, that doesn't make sense. At some point, first in that you know four to six to whatever week process, someone's going to know. The bank's going to either say this is there's not enough benefit. Or the client, you know, 40 days in is like, you know what, I was just thinking, this doesn't really, and we've seen that happen. And the point is, you know, and then you'd say, yeah, there is no, why, why'd you even try to, because 
if there's no benefit, there's no benefit, and the ben- you're better off telling someone that and, and, and preserving your credibility and professionalism than trying to be the guy who, who sell. you know, no, this is a great time, and, and in the end, if the point is to be successful in terms of production or financially, you get that by being, you know, by doing good work. Just doing, you know, just like, being a stand-up I mean, person. I've done less marketing as an individual than I should have, and I guess maybe we could say we've done less marketing as a company than we should have. But I do not doubt for one second that we, I've always done right by my clients because that's how I've gotten business. People, I don't ask them for a referral. You know, you know you, you, I'm going to jump in because you, you make, a, 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 again, a, another really good point. And we go back. It, it kind of takes us full circle to the original question, which was, was how, we, how do we establish trust? And, and it's, you know, you just said it basically. You know, I want to make sure that I do right by the client. Um, and how do we generate more business? And, again, we go back into the same thing as, whether I'm, I'm selling sneakers, I'm selling basketballs, I'm selling mortgages, um, whatever industry I'm in, you know, we, ge- we generate business by doing right by the current client. You know, your best salespeople are your existing clientele, or your best marketers are your existing clientele. And when you say that you do right by your client, you know, we talk about reviews and we talk about things like that. And I think ultimately, when you do things like that, it gets known. There's a, there was an old shampoo commercial. I don't know if it was like, Breck, <laughs> whatever it was. it was, you know, she told her friend, right, and right, she yeah. told her friend, and she told her, and <laughs> eventually there's a zillion thing. people, that, and that's the idea here, proud, whatever. <laughs> but you know, but that's the idea, and it is is that's how we become successful. I mean, that's the and, and that that's makes the longer sense. road. But, but that's but, but that's once that starts, right. that's the Rolling Stone right. going down the hill, and that is how you do things. And and, and you know. We've seen it with our with ourselves with the company, but we've also seen it with the individual loan officers. Absolutely, who, you know, just kept doing right, and closing ten loans in a month and ten happy clients, and next month ten happy clients, and then, you know, it just kept building on itself. And uh, you know, at Silverfin, we have a, f- a few of those people who just in the, in their market and were you know the people that have worked with them swear by them. Yep, and they get business just because that's how they work. And you don't worry about, you know, are these guys going to get into an argument with their client? or are they, gonna, they just continue to do right over and over again. And happily, proudly, those are the people that we have. So let me ask you this. So when we talk about business, have, have you gained business because another company failed? Over time, after working with enough, you know, enough clients and you could sort of see the difference in how certain scenarios or clients approach things. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, you have the client who says, you know, I spent three months with Chase and now they tell me they can't do my loan. Right. They and just then, ran my right, credit. Right. They and finally ran my credit. And something that's very, you know, <laughs> easy for us because maybe, you know, we work with 60 plus wholesale lenders and maybe we have 20 lenders that wouldn't care about the issue that Chase cares about or 50 lenders, whatever it is. It's like it's not a big deal to us, uh-huh. but it, to Chase it was and to that client it's over and you did, they wish that they had found out a hell of a lot sooner and they come to you. I mean, I, without mentioning names, like the, there's an attorney that you and I know that has come to us a number of times. You know, we don't ask for for the referral, but how many times has she she come and my client is about to lose their deposit? This, this. Yeah, and you know, what's what's the scenario? And very quickly, it's like, yeah, that's that's a no brainer. We could do that, or well, you can't, yeah, do or it. that's a tough one. She's gonna, you know, that client's gonna have a problem. So, would you say that that is it the is it the lender? Is it the broker? Is it the individual loan officer? Is it all the above? 
the what the way we where we that can get where we from. generate business from because uh, yes, people aren't can, necessarily look, there's, there's, there's a I, George Carlin comedian, funny guy funny guy uh, something he had, a, he had a, you know the whole point of life is not to die it's like there's thousands just of ways stay to alive die. to stay alive so just, you know so there's just one way you know you just got to stay alive and there are a thousand ways a loan can die yep and if you haven't if you're not experienced enough if you haven't worked on enough loans you may not see some of the obvious ones that you could have you know stopped it in advance um but that that's that's the skill i mean the skill is being able to quickly size up a scenario and figure out the right place to be able to take a loan yeah. so that it can get done um, so would you say training is important i mean training is in, is incredibly important even more so um is working on loans because it's just you need to you know you need to work on dozens of scenarios a week to, to understand you know, yeah if everybody was like I want to put twenty percent down I got an eight hundred FICO and I'm buying a five hundred thousand dollars single family residence you know when anybody line, could do it anybody could do it and I mean that's okay we just we distinguish ourselves I think yes that's the four hundred thousand we're going to be incredibly competitive we're going to get it done it'll be over. that was easy. But we really distinguish ourselves as it gets harder. So, what is um, the can you expand on the call? Meaning, because we had people, because of our flexibility with office attendance, mm -hmm. we had to have some structure with, you know, to have a culture, to have a sure a team, to have a group, and collaboration, with, as collaboration, you said earlier. Right. Yeah, and I think we accomplished that with a. At times, it was more than weekly. It was a daily. It was, but we had calls where every person was expected to contribute something that they learned right so we so go around the and, room and sometimes people oh, i have nothing and it's like well i don't know how much you're working this week but okay next but when so, you know, sometimes the the contributions were significant where it's something that you know out of, out of 20 professional mortgage people 19 of them didn't think that what you're describing could have happened right and you just educated 19 other people and said you know what you can do this if it's you know ABC, and if you do it this way, um, that exchange of information is something that is crucial to to being good at this. But I think it's something that a lot of companies didn't have because people, why am I helping someone else? Right. It was a lot of it was. You, you know, it's. I'm going to jump in for a second. You, you know, some of you may have this this thing go on now that exists at your at your company, and I would assume that a lot of people that are listening to the podcast here are. Uh, in the mortgage business, <laughs> are related <laughs> to us, are in the mortgage business. And, you know, there were times where, and, and again, really in any industry, I know that uh, in a lot of different companies they do this, where they essentially line up all your business on the wall and kind of have a board. So, oh, Andrew, you, you have uh, eight scenarios, you, you have eight deals. You know, Joe, you have seven deals. This one's got 15 and so on and so forth. And I think ultimately it became a, a, a competition would well, you that, say that, that's right. the uh, and, and what, is, what is the movie uh glengarry glenn, glenn ross glenn right. you know. well but to that end you know look i understand the culture uh, that we try to provide and i don't think it's based on co competition or friendly it's a little based on some maybe mm -hmm. some friendly competition would you agree that our culture is a little different and how would you describe our culture uh, again, it's, I think our culture is supportive. It's a more, you know, I think that like everybody more, supports one. Yeah, I mean, because th there's that we've established, I think, to each of the uh, we've established to the loan officers that 
this is something that we value, that we're all contributing to helping each other get better. And when you have a good nugget of information to share, you know, you, you, I think that most of our people are excited. They're like, oh, I got a good one. I'm saving that for Thursday. You right. Know? Like, you know what? I, so so <laughs> I, I agree with that. So, you know, it, it's interesting is that we talk about that. We talk about the fact that we do uh, a morning call every Thursday. And to Andrew's point, we go around the room and there's some amazing nuggets there are. And sometimes there's some eh, not so great things. But the fact that we're learning from one another, we're supporting one another, we're coming up with ideas, we're collaborating. And this happened even before COVID. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, and I the mean, fact we that also we continue had, to do Which we haven't had great. since COVID. You know, we had our twice monthly meetings. Yep. In those, we, you know, twice a month we had everybody. That was, you know, a lot of, not a lot of requirements to attend things. That was one of them. You had to come in. Right. And every person came in and we got, you know, some breakfast and we would have at the first meeting of the month, we would have one lender, wholesale lender come in to help us understand what they do, what we should be thinking about them for. And then we had a, uh, you know, a company, a man, you know, a meeting where we talk about whatever things had come up in that last month that would, that, you know, needed to be addressed broadly with the company. And then the next meeting, two weeks later or whatever it was, we had two lenders come in. Right. So if we had three lenders come in a month, minimum 36 lenders a year, and all the products that they and have. all the products that they offer, and we work with you know 60, 70 wholesale lenders in a changing network of you know we might drop off some that we were, hey, we never did business with them, but then we added new you know new lenders. Um, that was how we kept people educated on all the different things, um, because when you know rates are particularly low today, but rates have been low for the last ten you know relatively low for the last ten years. Um, when banks need business, when rates go up and things, you know, refis slow down, the banks say, hmm, you know, I guess I could have done that last loan if I, you know, he needed six months reserves, three was probably enough. Was probably so enough. as the banks ease their guidelines to keep their volume growing or consistent, you know, there's, then it becomes a different kind of business. It's not just what's your, you know, what rate do you have today and what's today's rate? It's, you know, remember last year we spoke, you couldn't get this loan done. Today we can. Today we can. Yep. Um, so I think that's something also where, um, uh, you know, the mar the I, I didn't I didn't appreciate I guess until I saw it how much when rates are low as in to, like today, it's easy for the for the lenders to cherry pick the kind of loans that they want, um, and that, and a lot of stuff is getting done today. But as the rates if rates go up you know a half a percent and that shuts down a you know thirty percent of refinance activity. The, the banks will open up something, something else. else. Right. So I, I guess I would say is how important is change and rolling with that change? Uh, whether you like it or not. You don't have to change the way that you work. Or you don't have to change the way the company works. But the world will change around you. Right. And, you know, if you think that not growing, not learning, not employing new technologies to deliver things, you know, services or products that you delivered before is worthy of growing and changing with, then... I think you'll very quickly find that you can't compete in anything. Um, in, in anything, anything. right? And, and you know, there might be a few, you know, a few businesses where people, um, I want, you know, the, whatever it is, whether it's I want handmade uh, ice cream, you know, craft something. But for the most part, you, you have to adapt to change. That's that's what happens. But even that's, that changes. Look at Cold Stone, you know, creamery. Right. You know, <laughs> right, I mean, right. But, and people it's like funny. it for a while. But think about that. You're right. Is you know to that point is change change occurs and you don't roll with it. Sometimes you're going to be dead in the water. And, and and you know when you made me think when you said, you know, we have people who do things a certain way and have always done it a certain way and it never worked. Right. And they still do it. 
then you have people who did things a certain way. It did work, but it doesn't work anymore, or it doesn't work like it used to. Either way, you have to adapt to your environment. Yep. Um, it's it's easy to, um, and I think we've seen you know we've seen loan originators or you know people work in a way where, you know, they're reluctant to change. They're reluctant to employ new technologies, and you know I'm not talking about you know, a hologram of your uh, closing right. disclosure. I'm talking about, you know, being able to continue to work in a way that people expect, which is, you know, from a smartphone so that you can see a document or respond quickly or, you know, um, be able to have the, you know, the certain technologies that enable people to. You know, I, I'm going to cut you off because there's a, there's a funny thing that I, I just want to bring up and then we'll, 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 uh, we, we'll just kind of finish this up. But there was a, there was a, an employee that we had had that this is goes back to I think 2010 or so. Let's call him. And and basically, <laughs> it was very funny. He grabbed he grabbed his phone and he actually walked up to Andrew. And well, we had been saying but, you got to get but, a, wait, 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 a BlackBerry. Yeah. I think. And he <laughs> said, it was, it was a BlackBerry and iPhone. He said he said he grabs his phone and he said to you, "So you think with if I have this and I have email or I use this, suddenly I'm going to get a lot more business?" Or something to that right. effect. Can he, just, right. can you he just, had a just flip phone, and we had been saying to him, "Look, I, I know you don't want to spend the money, but you'll be more connected. You'll be, you know, replying to clients faster. You need to get a smartphone." Smart yeah. And he resisted, 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 and then <laughs> yes, one day he held up his, I think his uh, Motorola flip phone, and said, "So you're telling me if I change this and I got a." You know the BlackBerry, I think it was. Whatever, yeah. Um, you're saying I'm going to have more business, and I'm like, well, you have no business now, <laughs> so let's just, you know, why don't we give it a shot? But he, that was an example of somebody who just did not want to change. He just refused to believe. And there's the, uh, you know, the do the same thing and get the same results. But uh, that's you know. it. But the, here's someone who his same results were not even what he wanted, and he was reluctant to change. Right, and it goes to that point of people that that may not even be as successful as not even what they want to be, or half as successful as they want to be, but are stubborn enough to still not understand or agree with somebody that might might know what they're doing a little bit more. So. I mean, you know, so it was a little more, little more. All, you know, we all have different gifts, and some people are smarter than others. But if you're if somebody who's successful at something that you're trying to do is giving you advice. Whatever that may be, I mean, y you have to be willing to listen. Right. Um, you may not have to know, follow it, but right, you got I mean, to if but you had, understand uh, it. Be open to it. If somebody who's, uh, you know, who's uh, what is it? Hussein Bolt. Hussein Bolt. Who's the, the, the sprinter? Bolt. Yeah, he tells you, that, you know, how to run fast. You're like, no, I'm fine. I mean, <laughs> I know how to do it. <laughs> right. It's, it's not that's the equivalent because we have some people here who are, you know, really very productive, just top of their game. And they may have a hard time giving advice to someone who's not. And that's an interesting way of thinking. Yeah, that's an interesting is. dynamic that you could have somebody who really, oh, this is the expert and I'm not going to listen because I can't open up my mind enough to do, you know, to hear it or do things differently. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree completely. You know, I, I just want to say, uh, Andrew, even though I've known you for such a long time, you know, sometimes things like this help as well, you know, sitting down and, and really having some in-depth in conversations. So I want to just tell you that I think this has been, been terrific. It's been great. And uh, I really certainly appreciate uh, 
you getting us to you giving us information so we we can understand your finsights a little bit better and giving us those nuggets of, of, you of truth. You see that. Uh, so I, I look forward to what our continued journey together uh, in business and friendship, et cetera. And, and I really do appreciate you coming on and, and voicing your, uh, you're giving your advice and your thoughts and opinions. And, and uh, uh, again, I look forward to working with you some more. So thank you very well, much. Thank you, Rich. It's been, uh, it's been your pleasure to have me here right now. <laughs> yes, it um, has. You know, uh, <laughs> when uh, Johnny Carson and Ed McMahon, they never were friends after. So I'm not going to speak to you until, until the my next, next episode. I appreciate it. There'll be no more episodes <laughs> for you, but thank you. Um, but we also want to thank the listeners, the viewers. Uh, we do hope everybody enjoyed the conversation. If you did, you know, please feel free to, to share us, uh, the podcast, on, on social media. Uh, we'd love to hear some feedback, some ideas, some guests who you think might be good uh, in the future. Uh, and you can reach out, out to us at uh, finsights at silverfincapital.com. Thank you so much, everybody.